Thanks, praise team. It is, uh, it's awesome to be with you uh, tonight. Uh, there are some sermon notes. Uh, you'll have to forgive me. I was trained with notes. Uh, we were called the fill-in-the-blank church where I go to, and uh, that's how we know that everybody's paid attention. So you won't be able to leave tonight unless you've at least written something down. So you either got those on your way in. They're available, I think, on all the communion table areas. If you want to grab those, uh, follow along. Um, we like to say that uh, notes helps us get farther faster, and so sometimes filling in the notes, filling in the blank will, will kind of help you along. Uh, I'm Chris Collins, and uh, I serve two major roles um, uh, in my full-time work. One is with Fellowship of Christian Athletes as the area director. I've been in that role going on five years now. And uh, the other role I play is a very part-time staff member at Oro Valley Church of the Nazarene, where I work with young families, specifically with young husbands and dads doing discipleship and mentorship and things of that nature. Uh, before I jump in tonight, I have, to, um, just, I have to affirm your pastor in front of you. Um, your pastor is a great man. I hope you know that. <laughs> pastor Jack, I want you to know in front of the, the, the flock that you shepherd, the type of influence that you have, the difference that you make, the passion that God has placed inside of you, you have not neglected the gift that is in you. And your passion for people is genuine, your passion for the lost, and this place is real because it's a reflection of your leadership. So I love you. I appreciate you. I know this congregation appreciates you. So thank you for what you do and for who you are. All right. Uh, I'm speaking tonight from the topic of dealing with inadequacy. And uh, usually it's always good when you're speaking to just start with a very self-deprecating story to help illustrate exactly what it is that you're going to be talking about. So let's just do that right off the bat. I'll just embarrass myself. Uh, a couple years ago, I had a friend of mine who came to me and asked me if I would do a triathlon with him. And as a good friend, I said what every person would, no. <laughs> Not doing that. Why would anybody want to do that. I don't know if you're aware, but actually today the Arizona Ironman is happening up in Phoenix and there are a thousand crazy people participating in this event. But he said, hey, I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight, trying to get back in shape. I really need somebody to train with and, and somebody to partner with. Will you, will you just help me along? So I finally gave in. I said, sure. So uh, there, there's a couple of things, you know, a, a triathlon involves swimming, biking, and running. And uh, I, I had a bike, but it wasn't a very good one. Anybody can really run, but the swimming, man, that's, that's a little dicey, right? Because if you don't swim, if that doesn't go well, you can die, like at the bottom of the pool, right? If the bike, you just kind of fall over, or you stop running or whatever, but if swimming doesn't go well, it's a bad day. So we start training on a pretty regular basis, and we're swimming laps at this pool and going back and forth. And a couple weeks out from the competition, he says, hey, you know you need a tri-suit, right? And I said, no, I, I wasn't aware of that, actually. This is my first one. He said, yeah, you need to get the suit that you can wear the whole time. You wear it into the pool, you jump on your bike, and then you run in it. And I'm like, I kind of remember people, you know, wearing those things, but I was like, ah, okay. So he says, no, it really, I, I had just been swimming in board shorts, right? So my times weren't very good. He's like, this will shave like three minutes off your swim time, like just as soon as you put it on. It's almost illegal, actually, but you need to go get one. So I go to the triathlon store and I, I get the suit and I'm kind of, I'm jazzed up for the first time we're getting an opportunity to practice. And I, I'm, I'm in the changing room at the pool and I get it on and then I, I hit the deck and I'm on the side of the pool. And in that moment, in all my excitement, it suddenly hits me what it is exactly that I'm wearing. 
A trisuit literally is, it's just, it's spandex for your entire body. It's like second piece of skin. And I'm like, I got in the pool faster than I ever had because I felt suddenly embarrassed and inadequate to wear this trisuit. I, I was not ready for that at all. And I'm just wondering tonight, in that story, I found myself exposed and completely inadequate to be wearing that, training for that event. And I'm wondering how many of us deal with that in our life. How many of us feel like we are completely inadequate for what it is we're doing? Most of us will think on those times and they'll center around how we felt about something, not necessarily the circumstance that surrounded. So let me give you another example of, of that. Uh, I've got an 18-month-old daughter, Colby, and uh, about six to eight months ago, she was still in uh, the stage of life where she needed mom every time it was time to eat. And when Colby would hit the end of her rope, it didn't really matter how much love and affection I gave her. It didn't really matter the fact that I had helped make her. She didn't want me. I took it personally, right? I'm like, I, I was inadequate for that, that, that time and that moment. And it wasn't because of anything I could do. It's just the reality. I didn't have what was necessary to meet her needs. Only mom had that. But that's a reality, so I can get over that pretty quickly. I can't really help that. But there are other times, like in that triathlon suit, where how I feel causes me to know inadequacy in my mind. Now, I ask you this question. Did, did how I feel in my triathlon suit have any bearing on whether or not I was able to actually compete in the triathlon? The answer is no. And that's where the battle begins in attempting to overcome feelings of inadequacy that we experience in our life from time to time. So how do we handle those things that happen to us in our life that remind us how inadequate we are? How do we get past the lies that we tell ourselves or that circumstance make us believe that we can't accomplish something or that God can't use us in a certain way or that we aren't qualified, prepared, or studied enough? That our past mistakes disqualify us from present opportunity? That our failures are proof that we can't achieve? We can start with what God has to say about our qualifications, accreditations, certifications, and everything that goes into that. And I'm here to tell someone tonight that what you know trumps how you feel. What you know trumps how you feel. Feelings of inadequacy are overcome by the promises of God. We are adequate not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. And I want you to know some truths tonight about how God helps us deal with these feelings of inadequacy. So let's go on a little word study here real quick. If, if you're a note taker, you're going to want to write some of this down. You have to write in the margins. This is outside the, the, the outline, okay? The dictionary definition of inadequacy, okay? I got this off the internet. We know it's true. Dictionary.com, right? No, but it is true. Not sufficient, inept, or unsuitable. That's the definition of inadequacy, not sufficient, inept, or unsuitable. Now, when I read that definition, there's one word that jumps off the page at me, and it's inept. It actually fires me up a little bit. I get defensive. I'm not inept. Call, call me a lot of things. Call me what you want. Call me JV, all right, but I, I'm not inept, all right? I, I, I can figure things out. Unsuitable in that definition makes me think of maybe my physical limitations as it relates to maybe my daughter. I, I, I'm unsuitable for the need that she has. That's not my fault. But the first words of the definition, not sufficient. 
I start to ask myself, how do I get sufficient? If I'm not sufficient for something, how do I change that? What I know trumps how I feel. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 tells us, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Now, weakness in this passage can also be translated this fancy Bible word called infirmities, okay? Raise your hand if you've used infirmity in a sentence. Nobody, right? It's only in the Bible, okay? <clears throat> infirmities can have dual meaning at times in biblical text. So, so track with this. The first can be directly speaking to physical sickness. You have an infirmity, you are sick in body. But it can also refer to sickness of an emotional or mental type brought on by anxiety or feelings of inadequacy. This is literally translated in the Greek, feebleness of body or mind. So what am I saying? What you know trumps how you feel. God's grace, all the things we really don't deserve, is sufficient. It's enough to take the place of any perceived inadequacy that we have come to believe is true in our own life or in our own circumstances. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says this, Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. Now, one thing to make sure we point out here, everything in Scripture points to Christ. This passage in Isaiah, most scholars would say, is written about 700 years before Christ even walks the earth. He's calling it like it is. He's prophesying of the type of help that we would have in the being of Jesus Christ. Now, in this passage, that fancy Bible word, iniquities, can be translated in several different ways. One way is that it can be a perversion of truth. To take something you know to be fact and then alter it. To allow feeling to overtake the truth of what you know. He was crushed. Listen, he was crushed to rid us of that kind of thinking. For you're thinking you're inadequate for something because you're not. So based on this, follow me here. Christ died for your salvation, for your forgiveness of sin. He resurrected so that we might have eternal life. He beat death, and during that process of death and crucifixion, he was beaten, he was pierced, and he was crushed for our inadequacies. Do you believe that? Including the ultimate inadequacy of us not being able to save ourselves. We can't do that. So what, we, what we're really looking for here is a change of perspective as we view or deal with our own inadequacies. If we are in Christ our inadequacies become a reflection of what we know, not what we feel. We go on the fact of what Christ has done for us. So how should our perspective of inadequacies look, you might ask? I love it when you ask questions that are in my notes because I can just roll right into it. 2 Corinthians 12, the second half of verse 9 into verse 10. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about those weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me so because of Christ, I am pleased in weaknesses, in insults, in catastrophes, in persecutions, and in pressures. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Weaknesses, also translated using that fancy Bible word, infirmity. 
Infirmities also can be represented by inadequacies. Therefore, according to Paul in this passage, our perspective regarding our inadequacies should literally be to be happy that we have them. And no one says amen to that ever because that's really hard to do. Hey, I'm just going to be pumped for all the inadequacy that, God is, that, that, that I have in my life and that I haven't asked God to help me with. The things I can't do, I'm just going to be pumped about those. But it's in our inadequacy where we find proof of Christ in our life. See, he gets me through. I don't. He sustains me. He provides. He delivers. He stands in the gap. I would go so far as to say that we all need to have some feeling of inadequacy to be reminded that what we know is that Christ is revealed to us in those circumstances. So if you're feeling inadequacy tonight in any area of your life, it's good proof that Christ is present and Christ can be there. We just have to turn our attention and our perspective to him a little bit. Let me put it another way. We all face situations every day that are beyond our abilities. We're unable to fix or repair or improve or heal a situation or perform a task that meets others' expectations. And these battles with feelings of inadequacy are common to us all. We face them all the time. We all feel inadequate, overwhelmed, or helpless at one time or another, and those feelings can lead to shame and isolation if we're not careful. And only Christ can replace the feelings of inadequacy with the knowledge that his death and resurrection provide all the evidence we need that we are adequate. We look to that. So how do we find the right perspective to deal with this inadequacy? We're going to look at five principles we can use to deal with these feelings of inadequacy. All right, there's five things I want to point out to you. My hope is that one of these will hit you right where you're at today. I know what you're already thinking, like, what church is this guy from? That's just his introduction. These five are going to go fast, all right? So nobody, nobody worry. We're going to be all right, okay? Five things here that help kind of deal with this idea and this feeling of inadequacy. Here's number one. When God leads you to do something, he will supply the needed resources. When God leads you to do something, he will supply the needed resources, Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to will and to act for his good purpose. Paul is making it clear that God will not only give us the inspiration to do the task, but he will also empower us to do it. The Lord will give you his supernatural strength. He will give you his wisdom. He will give you his finances. He will give you the people to help you and anything else you need to get the task done. We do not have to rely on ourselves. When we worry about the resources that we need to do something God has called us to do, we're taking on a responsibility that God reserves for himself. God is working in you. If we push and push and push and try to get something done ahead of God's resources, we might not accomplish that which we were compelled to start in the first place. We get out ahead of ourselves. So maybe write this down on your notes if you're a note taker. And if not, you can commit it to memory. Work like it depends on you and pray like it depends on God. There's a great balance in that statement. There's a great balance in that place. He will supply the resources we need to prevent us from being inadequate if he's called you to do something. We don't have to do that on our own. Number two, the resources you need will be there when you need them not before. This is where faith comes in. 
We see time and time again in Scripture and in our own lives that this is just how God works. Philippians 4.19 says, And God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We see it pretty plain here. He will supply everything that we need. Yet, our human instinct is to take that promise and then we say this. Hey, I, I know that you said that you'll provide, but it'd be really helpful if you do it right now. If you could just, you could just hurry that up, make it happen right now, that would really make my life a whole lot easier. What would our faith really look like if God supplied everything we needed ahead of any action or risk? I, I propose, I wonder if that would even be faith at all. If we knew the outcome of everything that we thought or asked or that we asked him uh, to do in our life, if we knew every outcome of that, and would that really be any part of the faith journey? See, the hardest part about faith is understanding that it's belief that he will do what he said he will do, not necessarily knowing when he will do it. The resources you need will be there when you need them, not before. Listen, God is the master of time and timing. I know it's a subtle change in the word there, but it's a big difference. We need to be reminded that timing is a little bit different than time. God dealt with time on a couple of big occasions in Scripture. He caused the, the sun to stand still for an entire day for Joshua. There's a fascinating passage where he actually rolled the clock backwards for Hezekiah. But God is the master of timing as well giving you the resources you need when you need them. And let me assure you of this, your worrying and impatience will not rush God. I know sometimes we think it will. Hey God, I'm really worried about this. I know you're the God of the universe, created everything, but I just want you to know I'm worrying about this. So if you could really speed it along, that would be tremendously helpful to me. And the whole time you just wonder if God's trying to say, I'm working on your faith. I'm working in that, in, that, in that space. So we need to come to a, a comfortable place of understanding that God provides in his timing. Number three, God's grace is like a coat. When the task is done, he removes it. Now, don't get theological on me here because I know some of you are like, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Let, let's all agree that God's grace is sufficient, okay? that it will never leave us, that it is available for us at all times. I'm talking here about situational grace. Times when we feel like we need a special interaction from God to get us in, out, or through something. And if you don't quite believe me yet, let's just talk about the holidays for a minute. How many are about to be around family? How many of you would like extra grace? Okay, that's what I mean, right? We call those people EGR people, extra grace required, okay? You need just a little bit more to deal with that person, that cousin, right, or, or, or the uncle that's coming to town or whoever it might be. But a coat, this, this is a powerful uh, image, really. A coat serves a variety of purposes, really. Protects us from the elements and, and from warding off cold, it's a designation of authority, like in the, military, in the military or at Augusta National where they get a green jacket. I would love to have one of those. That's a master's. That's a golf tournament for you. Like green jacket, who would want to wear that? It's really cool. Trust me. Or even for a special event like a tuxedo. And I did a quick inventory tonight. I noticed nobody here was wearing a tuxedo. All right? So I think we all understand that there's a time and a place for that. 
although some of you look good, all right? When the purpose for these type of coats are fulfilled, we take the coat off. And you need to choose the right coat for the right occasion. You don't need a ski coat on an early October evening in Tucson. It'd be a bit much. Everybody agree with that? Especially this last October. You don't need a cardigan to go to the slopes of Lake Tahoe in February. That probably wouldn't be quite enough. You'd freeze out there. All right? By the way, I've never been to Lake Tahoe. Anybody going skiing? I'm happy to come along this February. I'll wear the appropriate jacket, I promise. There's a fascinating story in 2 Kings and it really starts uh, unfolding in the second chapter. I won't dive into it in depth, but it's the story of Elijah and Elisha and the passing of spiritual authority from Elijah to Elisha. And some may not be familiar with these guys, but really here's, here's the gist of it. In their time, in their era, they were God's chosen vessel. They were God's chosen mouthpiece to the people to, for prophecy, for prayer. They were the go-to people. They were the Pastor Jack of that time and place, all right? When Elisha witnessed God taking Elijah up to heaven, he saw his cloak or jacket fall to the ground. It's a powerful image. And Elijah's cloak, is, it's an amazing picture of God's grace. See, when the prophet Elijah's earthly work was done, the mantle of God's spiritual authority on him was lifted and it was passed to Elisha. Elisha changed coats and with it received a double portion of God's spiritual authority. And I started wondering what would have happened what would have happened if Elisha had never changed coats? What, what would have happened if he'd have said, God, I, I know some of the unbelievable, amazing things you want to do to and through me, but I'm good with this coat. It fits perfect. It's broken in. I know every scratch and tear and the story behind each one of them. It's broken in like a pair of jeans. It's beyond comfortable. I'm good. I'm just going to wear this one. What Elisha was doing was saying, I'm ready to change my coat. I'm going to hang this coat up that I've been wearing, and I'm going to put on this new one. And, and I know that this old coat represents a time and a season of my life that I'm grateful for. There are some times I would like to forget where I was and what I was doing when I had this coat on, as a matter of fact, but I know with a new season and new responsibility in my life, I'm ready to put on a new coat one that's better suited and crafted for the next assignment that God's calling me to. It's a new garment of grace, if you will. Listen, with love today, some of us are wearing the same coat we put on when we gave our lives to Christ. It's comfortable. We don't want to take it off. Let me just tell you today that you are better prepared and able than you used to be to handle God's assignments but you're unwilling to take off the comfortable, worn-in, recognizable coat you received when you said yes to Christ, and Christ may be saying to you tonight, I want to give you a new task or assignment, but I can't because the comfortable coat you've been wearing is not adequate for what I have for you next. I've got to put something new on you. And just because you'll take it off doesn't mean that you'll, you just will feel inadequate if you take it off and are exposed to the elements of life and change. Let me remind you that what you know today about God trumps how you feel about your inadequacy. God will supply all of your needs, amen? Number four, 
Don't compare yourself to someone else. Their coat is different from yours. Let's stick with the coat analogy. I think it'll help us understand this concept a little bit. God does not provide a one-size-fits-all coat. Everybody in this room is different callings, different responsibilities, different giftings, different people. And it's the same for churches. I'll tell you, there is really not any confusion in this church about who you are or what you're about. That's what I love most about coming to visit here. You know who you are. You know exactly what you're doing, and there is no second guessing. You guys have it going on. For each one of us, on an individual basis, God's resources and grace are custom made. Everybody say custom made. Say it again, custom made. God customizes resources and grace where you are. Don't look at where God has placed you or what he's calling on you to accomplish and compare yourself to someone else. That's just like the proverbial apples to oranges deal. They're not the same thing. This will always take us down a road of inadequacy when we start comparing. Look at that guy. He's got six-pack abs, no gray hair, amazing job. I didn't just describe myself, by the way. And you say, well, all I can do is maybe buy a six-pack, some just for men to get the gray out, but I can't afford it because my job stinks. Meanwhile, that guy with the six-pack abs, no gray hair, an amazing job, is saying, look at you. A spouse that loves them, amazing kids, balance in life that allows them to leave their job and go home and be checked into the, to the home life. So it's always a matter of perspective. Comparisons between your coat and someone else's are a waste of time and energy because at the end of the day, it comes down to your perspective anyway. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 to 13 tells us pretty clearly here, for we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, but in measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves, they lack understanding. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but according to the measure of the area of ministry that God has assigned to us, which reaches even to you. Let me summarize what Paul is saying here. God gives each of us boundaries of responsibility. Unwise people compare themselves to others. Let me tell you, other leaders are not your benchmark. You are not to measure your worth by watching another leader. Focus on what God has told you to do. Rejoice when you accomplish it. If you want to feel inadequate, then I would go ahead and compare yourself to someone else. That's a really good way to do it. But what we know tonight, God's resources, grace, and coat are custom made for each and every one of us. And that trumps how we ever feel. Next one. If God gives you great ability in an area, expect him to test you in that area. Let me tell you that leadership is one of the most studied topics in our culture today. We're enamored by it. A Google search on word leadership will yield you 468 million results in less than half a second. Our world is just taken with the idea of and the implementation of leadership. So tell me if you've ever heard any of these before as it relates to leadership. With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, okay, we've got that one. Uh, leadership has been described as a, a state of mind. If you believe you can lead, you can. 
Okay, how about this one? Uh, great leaders are made, not born. Okay, how about this one? Great leaders are born. So do we really know? I don't know, but whatever we say, it goes into the leadership pile and everybody wants to know about it. Let me encourage you today, everyone in this room is a leader. It is not a matter of if you are leading, it is a matter of who and how you are leading because somebody is watching you. Everywhere you go, everything you do, someone is following you. And despite what you may think, what you may have brought into this place, every single person in this room tonight has been given great ability in certain areas. And our feeling of inadequacy will keep us from realizing our greatness in certain areas if we focus on how we feel, not on what we know. I'm reminded of the story of Moses in Exodus 4. Maybe you're familiar with it, but Moses was chosen and he was destined to lead by God, but he wasn't really built to lead. You say, well, what do you mean by that? I, I thought he did some great things. Well, he did, but um, let me just say that, that he stuttered. He wasn't a smooth talker. He didn't seem to be a well-studied man. He didn't have a great job. He lacked confidence. And then there's this one. Uh, he told God to get someone else. Just plain and simple. I'm not ready to do this. I'm not ready to lead. I just would rather you get someone else. Yet once Moses relented and submitted to the authority, what happened? God took an inadequate and ill-equipped man and set his people free. God hones our talents and abilities using other people. God hones our talents and abilities using setbacks. God hones our talents and abilities using experiences. Listen, you are uniquely experienced to minister to somebody who is about to go through what you've already been through. So every experience you've had in this life has prepared you to minister or to encourage or to be a blessing to somebody who might be coming along and getting ready to get into that. There are things that you've done that I haven't and vice versa. You are uniquely experienced and uniquely positioned to be a blessing to people. So God uses all those things to bring us to our spiritual peak of performance in him. It's interesting, as you read chapter 4 in Exodus, there's a, there's a heading over the chapter, and it says this, miraculous signs for Moses. Made me think, God is saying, Moses, you, you have great ability. Let me show you some things to convince you that I am adequate for you. If you have self-identified great ability in an area of your life and you don't feel like God has tested you in that area, you probably need to surrender your talent and ability to him. If you have self-identified great ability in an area of your life and you feel like all God does is test you in that area, you feel inadequate at times because of that difficulty, God is saying to you today, my grace is sufficient for you. It is enough to get you through. My testing of you in this area is to bring greatness to my name. And we have to separate ourselves from the idea that because we possess greatness in our abilities, that it means we are complete in that area. See, there is no part of our life that God will not use to get our attention. Not just your deficiencies, but sometimes those areas that you are great in, he will get your attention in that way. Those moments when you feel inadequate, God is saying, I know you can do it because I destined you for greatness. So I say tonight, God, forgive us of the times that we let our feelings of inadequacy 
keep us from accomplishing great things. Our true inadequacy should, should point us towards the cross. We are inadequate apart from Christ, but we are made adequate because of Christ. I've heard a preacher say that Christ knew what he was buying when he went to the cross for you. He's not surprised by areas of your life where you feel deficient. He's not surprised by those, those feelings of inadequacy that you have. All your shortcomings, all your doubts, all your fears, all your inadequacies, covered by Jesus Christ. In Christ, we are adequate for all things. Matthew 19, 26 tells us, But Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Listen, if you're struggling tonight with feelings of inadequacy, maybe you've come into this place and you feel like life is beating you up, that you aren't getting it done in a certain area, maybe that you aren't enough. God's here tonight to meet your need, to cover you in his grace. Inadequate means incapable, incompetent, inept, insufficient, unable, unacceptable, unsuitable, inferior, unfit, unqualified. All feelings that are lies from the enemy. 2 Corinthians 3, 4-6 says this, Such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the Spirit gives life. Listen, you are adequate tonight. In any and all areas of your life, you are adequate, acceptable, capable, competent, sufficient, suitable, enough, able. Words we know define us because we are in Christ, and that's enough. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful tonight that because of your work on the cross, we can take every thought captive that may hinder us from following you like we need to. That you, for, you forgave our sins, you continue to forgive our sins, that it doesn't matter what we are going through or how we are going through it. You're enough tonight. Lord, for those that have come into this place that maybe they're feeling inadequate in their home life, in their marriage, as a parent. Maybe there's a college student in this place tonight that feels inadequate in a relationship or in their schoolwork. Or maybe there's a member of our staff at Elements Church that feels like they're inadequate for the ministry you've called them to. I bind those thoughts in the name of Jesus tonight. I ask that your spirit, Lord, would cover those thoughts. Lord, that we would rest on the fact and the assurance that we are made adequate because of whose we are tonight. Not because of anything we've done, not because of any place we've been, but because we have released our heart and our life to Jesus Christ. 
If you're in this place tonight and you don't know Jesus that way, and you want to lay every feeling or thought of inadequacy at the feet of Jesus, at the foot of the cross tonight, you can do that. See, there is no pre-qualification. There is no test you have to pass. All you have to do to join the family is accept the gift of forgiveness that God has for you. Maybe you might repeat that in your heart tonight with me and just say, Jesus, I ask your forgiveness tonight. I pray that you would forgive me of my sin. I ask that you would invade my heart, that you would invade my life. I give you my inadequacy today. I submit my life to you that you would change me from the inside out. That I'd be a part of the family of God by simply accepting the gift of forgiveness because of your work on the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. We're moving into a time of communion. Communion is available to you at various places around the sanctuary tonight. If you need a minute to reflect on some things or where you're at, or if anything is spoken to you, or is getting to the heart of where your situation might be tonight through the sermon, take your time as they play and sing behind us. And when you're ready, you can make your way to one of the communion tables and partake. The elements are, are simple. It's the bread, which represents the body of Jesus Christ, broken for you and for me. in the most selfless, unbelievable act humanity's ever seen. And the juice which represents the blood of Christ that was spilt so that we might be forgiven of every sin and that we might be made adequate in the eyes of the Father. I invite you to take communion when you're ready.